This is Reese Davis, and you're listening to the Galloway Podcast. Welcome into episode 31 of the Galloway Podcast. I'm your host, William Galloway, and today is Wednesday, December 4th. I'm glad you've decided to join us, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Thank you for listening to the Galloway Podcast. The college football regular season has come and gone. Championship week is upon us, but it does not feature the Alabama Crimson Tide. LSU and Georgia set to kick off this weekend in Atlanta for the SEC championship, a battle for that SEC spot in the playoffs on the line. If it's you know it's an interesting scenario. What if Georgia wins? Um, most people think LSU is going to win, but that will settle itself out this Saturday kickoff in Atlanta. Excited to watch that SEC championship, but Alabama will be watching from home. And why? Because they are 10-2 and and did not have the season that they expected to. And so that's what we're going to talk about on today's podcast with Aaron Suttles. Once again, welcome into the Galloway Podcast. Thank you for joining. Let's go ahead and jump right into it. Today's show, we're going to break down the Iron Bowl. I'm going to give some preliminary thoughts, and then we will have the interview with Aaron. And then after the interview with Aaron, do a little um, Tide Hoops review. Of course, Alabama went into the battle for Atlantis, went one and two there, so we'll talk about that. Uh, But let's go ahead and fire this thing up. The Iron Bowl was the Iron Bowl. At this point, if you know what happened, you know what happened. If you live under a rock, you've probably figured out what happened as well. A really, really intriguing game featuring that second quarter of the Iron Bowl was probably one of the best quarters of college football that I've ever seen. But just some thoughts recapping that before we get into this interview with Aaron Suttles. Jalen Waddell had a fantastic game. Najee Harris had a fantastic game. I mean, that Alabama offense was able to run all over that Auburn defense. And everyone going into that game had talked about what's it going to be like for this Alabama running game versus this Auburn defense front because Marlon Davidson and uh, Derek Brown for Auburn are such great defensive players and then Alabama runs for 180 yards which is a very impressive performance on the road in SEC play against a very solid Auburn defense of course you look at the stat numbers and Najee Harris rushed 27 times for 146 yards like I said he had a very impressive game Uh, as did Waddle in the receiving with all those touchdowns. But, of course, the two pick sixes really shot Alabama in the foot, and that was the difference maker. I mean, that's what what broke the game for Alabama is those crucial errors. Um, One, I think, was obviously Mac Jones threw them both, but that that first one was brutal, and then the second one was just kind of not, not the best if you were an Alabama fan. But, But aside from those, aside from the pick six and Waddle's game and Najee's game, 48 points allowed is the most under Saban at Alabama. That is insane. On the road at Auburn against a very average offense, giving up 48 points. And it's not like Bo Nix did anything impressive through the air. He was 15 for 30 for 173 yards and a touchdown. I mean, that is mediocrity. But Alabama still allowed... Um, couldn't get off the field on third down in the second half, allowed 48 points, and the defense just struggled. They struggled and struggled and struggled, especially, like I said, on third down. 
And Alabama fans want to say, well, you know, what happened with the kick and, and the ref? You can't blame the ref when you can't get off the field and on third down in the second half. And you can't blame the ref when you're giving up 48 points and your defense is folding. And you can't blame the ref when you just play poorly and you have 13 penalties and you're not looking like the Alabama that we've seen over the past couple of years. Now, that raises a lot of questions about Alabama's identity as a program, and we'll get into that again shortly as well uh, with Aaron. But, I mean, you look at the, the offsides, the 12 men on the field, and, I mean, just, just disappointing from an Alabama's fan perspective. Um, look, in the clock, let's go back to that field goal at the end of the first half. The clock should have run out. Yes, by ruling, but that didn't cost Alabama the game, as I mentioned. I mean, you go back to the two pick sixes. In Alabama, folks, Alabama finished 10-2. and two. They didn't have a great season by its own standards, but think how many programs in college football would love to have a 10-2 and two season. They would long for that. They do long for that, and they want to get a coach. You got Ole Miss out here firing Matt Luke, who's been worse and worse and worse each season, who's done worse, and... They can't even get on the winning side of things. And Alabama fans act like the sky is falling after a 10-2 and season when your starting linebacker, Dylan Moses, goes out, your quarterback, your Heisman candidate quarterback goes out, and half your team is banged up and you don't have a healthy kicker. Well, the, the kicking is a whole other story. We can get into that, but we're not going to. 10-2 and is, is not great, and it's just not Alabama's year, and that's okay. And people calling for Saban to be fired and Alabama to clear house I think this would be the fourth year and third, fourth year in a row that Alabama's done that. Take a deep breath, look back, be more analytical, and don't be as led, don't be led as a fan astray thinking that Alabama is doing something just completely wrong and Saban's gone over the edge. It, it, it wasn't Alabama's year, plain and simple. Joseph Bullivus tweeted after the game talking about his performance because he received lots of tweets, angry tweets and mad tweets from fans. You can go on Twitter and check it out, but I just wanted to say before we get into this interview that it is really, really sad that it came to Bullivus sending that tweet because of the way that fans treated him and the way and the things that fans said to him. Because he's a kicker. He's a college athlete. He's a 20-something-year-old, young 20s, and... He's a college student. Can you imagine if you're in college and people are sending you that? What people are saying to him? Don't blame him for the game. Blame the team. You win and you lose as a team. I mean, grow up, people. Treating someone like that is ridiculous. He didn't have to send that. People shouldn't have been sending him things in the first place. But I'm really upset that it came to that, and he handled it with class and with grace. And so shout out to Joseph Bullivus for handling his situation very professionally. I think that's very admirable. If you want to look at that tweet, go check him out on Twitter at Joseph Bullivus 9 um, Just a very heartwarming tweet from him, a very emotional, very humbling, um, and helps you keep things in perspective as well after his game. And, uh, and one more thing Alabama fans are frustrated about, storming the field. Auburn stormed the field in 2013 after the kick six. I will say rightfully so because that was probably the greatest play in college football history, whether you're an Alabama fan, Auburn fan, or apathetic to college football. Something like that was unbelievable. That was worthy of storming the field. It was not worthy of storming the field when you 
beat Alabama in 2017 and 2019 at home, and you play a very average game, and you, especially in 2019, you play a beat-up Alabama team with their backup quarterback, and you win by three points. Just does not solicitate storming the field. But they were fined $250,000. I believe this is a fourth offense against Auburn in the past decade. I'm not totally sure. But, yeah, there were ramifications having to pay that fine. But I just see it as unnecessary. That's just me. That's not being a Bama fan. I think storming the field is something you do only on a situation like the kick six. But that's just me. Anyways, let's kick it over to Aaron Suttles here on the Galloway Podcast. Aaron is breaking down the Iron Bowl and talking about Alabama's identity as a team. Joining the Galloway Podcast now is the co-host of Three Man Front on WJOX FM in Birmingham and the beat writer for the Alabama Crimson Tide for the Athletic, Aaron Suttles. You can follow him on Twitter at Aaron Suttles. Aaron, how you doing? Well, you know, I'm good, man. How are you? I, you know, I've been been better, been worse. Um, dead week here at Alabama and and finals around the corner and tough Iron Bowl loss as an Alabama student, but life goes on. And so, um, you know... <laughs> Been better, been worse. But I uh, want to ask you today about the Iron Bowl. Obviously, a lot happened, and there's a lot to take away. But when you look at what happened on the field in Jordan-Hare on Saturday, what is your biggest takeaway? Because there's so many things that went on. I guess biggest takeaway is that, um, is that Alabama found a way to lose a game they shouldn't have lost. If you had told me before the game that, that Alabama would rush for 180 yards against that Auburn defense, that they would average more yards per carry against that Auburn defense than, than any offense that Auburn had played this year. If you told me Alabama puts up 515 yards of total offense, I would have told you Alabama wins by three touchdowns. And, and very likely they should have won by three touchdowns. But the things that, that, that plagued this team all season plagued them again on Saturday. Uh, 13 penalties is unacceptable. Uh, five false starts, even in a noisy environment like that, is unacceptable. Um, you know, the two pick sixes, those things happen. You know, generally Alabama's been one of the best in the country in turnover margin this season. So, um, you know, unfortunate that, that those played that bigger role. But it's still at the end of the day, Alabama's offense gave it a lead in the fourth quarter, and its defense couldn't protect it. And that's too often been the case for this Alabama defense, not that they've lost games because Alabama's offense has been so much better than teams they play. They just score a lot more points. But in, in teams against teams with comparable talent, um, that defense couldn't couldn't rise up, and they didn't rise up on Saturday. Alabama, Aaron, has played teams like Clemson last year in the national championship that have just straight up beat them. Um, and you look at LSU and Joe Burrow had a heck of a game in Tuscaloosa early on in November. Uh, would you say – would you take you take the scoreboard out of it. Would you say Alabama outplayed Auburn, and it just came down to some mistakes that Alabama made, or um, like did Alabama beat themselves, or did Auburn beat Alabama? I gotta be careful. I say this. I don't want to make. I don't want to sound like I'm making excuses, but um, Alabama basically. I mean, they besides just the two touchdowns that they threw via interceptions. Um, one of them was a 14 point swing. You're getting ready to score a touchdown there, so. I, I think Alabama beat itself. Um, field goal missed. Um, but you also want to credit Auburn that, that they played well. I mean, they made plays when they had to make them. And, but 
515 yards of offense against that that Derek Brown and Marlon Davidson, and they still find a way to lose that football game. I think that's Alabama losing. I credit Auburn for for doing what they had to do to come out on top, but uh, Alabama gave that thing away. Yeah. Uh, you look at Alabama's kind of identity this year, and they've been talking a lot. Coach Haven's been talking a lot about the Bama factor. Um, and have you seen any changes in Alabama's identity as a program? Obviously, the past couple of years with Tua coming in, it's kind of shifted to an offense, offensive mentality rather than a defensive mentality. But what do you make of Alabama losing two games in the reg- regular season, something that hasn't been done since 2010? I don't think they've found the Bama identity. If anything, I think they took a step back this year. Um, you know, what happens if they have, if they play any decent? If, you know, they play more decent teams. If, if the scheduled team would have to play Florida, or you know, have to play Georgia in the regular season, how many more losses does Alabama have? I, I don't know. If they, uh, I don't know. If given they lose those games, but given the way that Alabama played against good competition this year, I don't, I don't think it's a given that they win them either. Um, I thought it was a positive sign against Auburn that they were able to run the football. And as you know, I completely understand you got to utilize the weapons available to you. You got Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs and Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle and Tua Tagovailoa. You got to use that too. But I do think it affected the defense to some extent because it put them on the field for more plays. And I think it. Got away from Alabama being able to dominate. The Alabama factor's gone. It's not there anymore. And no one fears playing Alabama like they did, you know, back in 2012 when they're just strangling teams. Uh, they don't do that anymore. And style of play, I think, has something to do with that. The way they, the game is more offensive now has something to do with that. But at the end of the day, the, the defense is nowhere near what it used to be. And uh, it's pretty shocking that it's fallen off that quickly. And I understand, you know, nationally they're still they're still a top twenty-five defense, but they used to be a top five defense, top two defense, and now, you know, they're just not. Yeah, Alabama's lost players uh, this year, especially significantly on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, And then, of course, Tua late in the season. But injuries have been something that have plagued Alabama for years. You look at uh, Terrell Lewis a couple seasons back and and Eddie Jackson. You can even go as far back as that. And so Alabama's faced adversity with injuries year in and year out. Uh, But I don't think anything has hit home quite as hard as the injuries did this year. Talk about who do you think besides Tua was the most significant injury, uh, whether it was early or late in the season? Obviously, Dylan Moses. I mean, he's not only the most experienced linebacker there in the middle that you were going to have, he was also the guy that's going to call your defense. And you lose him the, the week of game game one of the season. So that was a that was a huge loss. And, you know, not only losing him, but then, you know, having to play a guy that just wasn't ready to play uh, right out of the gate. Like that with two-two freshmen there in the middle and, that affects your, affects your depth. So I, I think Dylan Moses was a huge injury. You know, I think LeBron Ray eventually got caught up with Alabama a little bit. They had to play so many young guys up front, Byron Young, um, and Justin Avoyby. And, and then obviously losing DJ Dell for the Iron Bowl was huge. But uh, I, I'd say outside of two, uh, the most significant injury to me was, uh, was Dylan Moses. 
Gotcha. Yeah, I would I would agree, and I think most Bama fans would agree as well. Uh, really missed him, and he's probably going to go and to the draft. And when you look at the draft, all these players that are going to go, but before the draft comes in April, Aaron, bowl season comes up. And you look at the SEC teams that are ahead of Alabama right now, Auburn, Florida, Georgia, LSU. Where do you see Alabama ending up in a bowl game? And how many players, depending on that bowl game, will play or will not play? Right now, I, I tend to think Alabama ends up in the Citrus, probably against Michigan, and that would be a, a pairing that uh, would be intriguing to a lot of people nationally because Jim Harbaugh is likely to go say something crazy and get a lot of attention before that game. But I, I think that's that's a possibility. Obviously, the worst case is the is the Outback Bowl there in Tampa, and there's still, you know, probably not a great shot, but there's an outside shot that Alabama could get into the the Cotton Bowl. Uh, as an at-large team. Uh, as far as how many players are playing, right now there's, there's speculation that a lot of players are going to sit out. I don't know that I don't know that to be true. Uh, not suggesting that they won't, but I, I do think there will be a couple, maybe even a few that elect not to play, but I don't think it's going to be a mass um, number of players that elect not to play in this game. That's not my belief, and right now I don't think that's the way it's headed. Although I do think there are a couple players who will, will make business decisions, you know, and you can't really blame them after they watched Tua uh, there in Mississippi State. What happened to him? They they got a very up close reminder of how dangerous football can be to their future earning potential. But I, I don't think it's a situation where um, uh, like double digit starters or even even approaching double digits don't play this game. I just, I don't think that to be true. You, you mentioned the Citrus Bowl, and uh, you thought maybe Michigan. It would be interesting when you combine all those factors. If Alabama ended up playing Michigan in the Citrus Bowl, uh, what would Najee Harris do? I think that would be really interesting, uh, just given the storyline that it came down to Alabama and Michigan for him. But, Aaron, last night the college football playoff polls came out, and the Crimson Tide in a very unfamiliar 12th place. What did you make of that position being behind a 9-3 and three Auburn uh, and Alabama just in a very unfamiliar situation ranked at number 12? Yeah, I, I think the committee kind of telegraphed by where Alabama landed that they were sort of set on getting Auburn ahead of them. I, and I don't think they've felt comfortable moving Auburn up any more than where they moved them to number 11. So in order to accomplish both those things, they had to move Alabama to 12. And in no way do I think Alabama's the fifth best team in the SEC. In no way do I think Alabama's the 12th best team in the country. But if I were in a court of law and I had Alabama's uh, you know, resume in front of me and I was trying to convince a jury of my peers that Alabama deserved to be in front of all these other teams, there's no proof for that. I mean, we, I, can, I can tell you about um, circumstantial evidence. I can tell you about uh, the eye test, so to speak, but I can't give you the resume because Alabama's resume doesn't hold up to the other two lost teams. You know, Auburn's got three losses. They got a nice win over Oregon, and their losses were Florida, LSU, and Georgia. You start looking at Penn State. Penn State's loss was to, to a top-ten Minnesota team and to the number one team in the country. Penn State has beat Iowa and Michigan and, you know, Wisconsin. They got a win over, um, uh, I believe, uh, they got to just beat Minnesota. And so they all have wins, top 25 wins. Alabama doesn't have that. So it, 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 I 
got a few. I mean, my personal feeling is, yes, Alabama is a top-ten team. I think they've shown that, the way they played. But the only evidence I have of that is basically how they played in losses. And that's just that doesn't stack up when other teams have the resume where they can point to win. Yeah, absolutely. A loss, a loss speaks a lot, and you can learn a lot from a loss. Um, and as outsiders, we are learning that, that it's detrimental, obviously, and something Alabama doesn't do a lot and hasn't lost multiple games since 2010 in the regular season, but it's happened. It's where the Crimson Tide is right now. Uh, it was reported this afternoon, sent from the university, that Tua Tungvaloa will meet with the media tomorrow. Uh, I don't know if you watched his interview with Kirk Herbstreet and, and ESPN, um, but did you see – what, what are your thoughts on Tua, uh, what he's going to say tomorrow to the media, and what do you think is best for him to go or to stay? Yeah, I, I saw the interview, and I, I read the interview also with the Tuscaloosa News, and um, I, I think tomorrow's press conference is going to be more of the same. I think it's an opportunity, maybe that Tua wanted to get a message out as far as he could, to, to thank all those who written him 11,000 letters, and, and he's going to use that platform um, for that, I don't think it's a. By maybe I'm wrong, but I, I don't think it's a. He's going to announce one way or the other because out one, if he was leaving, Alabama does all of its press conferences together with all the guys that are leaving early. So right. I don't think they would separate a guy from his teammates. That's just not the Alabama way. And I, I don't get the sense that Tua has made that decision yet. So I, I doubt that, that press conferences for that either. I, it, as far as what I think he should should leave or stay, I, I think he should leave. Yeah if he's healthy enough to play. Because um, I don't think... The argument that I've heard that people have put forth on, on reasons he should come back is that he can prove that he's not injury-prone, he can prove that he's fully healthy, and that will help his draft stock. And to a certain extent, that's true. But I don't think those are the... I don't think that's the main thing that's going to be held against Tua when NFL scouts start looking at his medical chart. I think what they look at is the injuries he's had. And you can't go back in time and erase those injuries. He's had a major hip injury. Uh, that's going to be held against him no matter how well he would play in a hypothetical uh, senior season. There's, that medical chart is still there showing a major surgery on his hip. So, you know, I, I tend to think that if he can go and be a first-round pick, which obviously there's no guarantee of, but if he can if he gets some assurances that a team likes him and he'll go as a, as a first-rounder, I think he should go and, and take that money because – um, there's no guarantee that he wouldn't get injured next year. Of course, there's always the option. I, I saw someone put this out there, too, that he could come back for a senior year and not play and basically just rehab and get fully healthy and and then go to the 2021 NFL draft. So there's always that. But um, I just think there's too much money at stake that, that he could potentially be thrown away and that the risk of losing that is not worth it in my eyes. Yeah, the money on the table, uh, you always want to take that for sure, but his situation is certainly unique. Um, Aaron, when we look at the college football playoff, one, two, and three seem to be pretty set in stone. They have been for weeks with a little fluctuation between LSU and Ohio State switching that one and two spot. Clemson locked in at three, but what is your prediction for that four uh, in the college football playoff, which we will figure out by this Sunday? I think if, if you ask me uh, who was – if they played on a neutral field, who would I take, Oklahoma or Utah? I would probably take Utah. I think they're a more complete football team. I think that's sort of what the committee is showing us with continuing to rank them ahead of Oklahoma. I think there's um, – well, well, Oklahoma, well, Oklahoma has a – 
unwilling to, to raise them higher than, than at the pace we've seen them be raised. So, uh, you know, if, if they win again Saturday over Baylor, it's only sort of weakening the win they already have over Baylor because then Baylor's not ranked as high. So I don't know how much they stand to benefit unless they just come out and completely just blitz Baylor like 55 to nothing or something, then, then maybe that changes. But I just get the sense that the committee doesn't value the Big 12 all that much, and and maybe they sort of do, uh, the, the Pac-12, because we saw the where Utah and Oregon has been ranked throughout this process. So I think if, if the Chalk holds and those two teams win, those two teams win, rather, I think Utah's going to the playoffs. And I think Utah gets, uh, yeah, they certainly would get that spot. Um, but the opportunity to represent the Pac-12 and kind of make a statement because people have been doubting and, and being naysayers towards the Pac-12 all season, that would say a lot. Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time to call in and, and talk for the podcast. Really appreciate your insight. And uh, covering Alabama all season long, you do a wonderful job. And uh, tell everyone how they can follow your work on the athletic and three-man front as well. Awesome. I'd love for them to subscribe if, if they haven't already, and they can follow me at Three Man Front on WJLX 94.5, and I'm on Twitter at Aaron Suttles. It was a, a pleasure to be on, and thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you to Aaron for giving his time and insight on Alabama football here on the Galloway Podcast. You know, one thing I really didn't think about that Aaron brought up was Tua's meeting with the media tomorrow not being a decision-making meeting. If you watch that video with Kirk Herbstreet he did with ESPN, he talked about how when God would put it on his heart, and it probably wouldn't happen overnight. And Aaron, Aaron mentioned, I hope you caught that, that two has gotten over 11,000 letters. That's unbelievable. I don't know about y'all. I don't know if you get a lot of Christmas cards or whatever, but nobody gets 11,000 letters in the mail over the course of three weeks. I don't know. I don't care who you are, unless you're two a tongue of Iloa. So that's incredible in and of itself. And I think Aaron is right and spot on that this will be a thank you meeting and I will make my decision accordingly. Um, so that's coming up tomorrow. The meeting is Thursday at 2.30 in the press room at the University of Alabama inside the Malmore Athletic Facility. So be looking for that. Be on Twitter. I think that should be live on Alabama Athletics as well. Also in the world of Alabama Athletics. Crimson Tide basketball. After Thanksgiving week, Alabama last week in the battle for Atlantis, they went one and two. Uh, So looking back on last week, not a great week for Tide hoops. That doesn't mean there aren't good things to be taken away. Alabama played quality, quality teams in the first two games of the battle for Atlantis, lost to North Carolina in the first round. Then Iowa State led by uh, Steve Prom and everyone thought that Prom was going to come to Alabama and be the coach, and Alabama ended up playing him in this tournament in Atlantis. But what a what a quality tournament! You see a team like Michigan jump from unranked to four because of the wins they got in this tournament. And so Alabama wasn't going down, knowing or expecting something to happen a certain way. They wanted to win, and they did everything they could. And Alabama is just a hurt beat-up team right now with a really, really tough schedule, and it's a learning curve for Alabama, and the program is learning, and it's going to take some time, and folks have been saying that. I've been saying that all season long, but when you've got the injuries that Alabama's had and the lack of experience in this system, it will take time. 
And I'm not saying four or five games time. It could take a whole season. Look at Georgia basketball last year and what Tom Crean, how he has been able to turn that program from, he knew year one was not going to be easy. And I know Nate Oates set expectations for his program that he would want to make the tournament this year. And I think that's still the expectation, and that's still feasible for Alabama. They're only three and four, and they've played a very, very tough schedule. But it takes time. It takes the right guys. And Nate Oates is not laying out a three. He wasn't laying out a three-month plan when he came in in the spring. He was he was laying out a three, six, nine-year plan. He's focusing on the 2021 recruiting class. It's going to take some time. Just Hold on, folks. It's coming. Stay loyal. Alabama basketball is not Alabama football. You're not winning national championships every year. It takes a lot to build this program, and he's doing the right things, so be patient. The Tide beat Southern Miss in the seventh place game. If you want to take anything away from that, Southern Miss, not a great team in that game, but uh, always a good thing to end up on the winning side of things on the scoreboard. Uh, so Alabama did get, didn't finish last, but a win over um, a not great Southern Miss team in the last game of that tournament down in Atlantis. Now, the Crimson Tide turns their attention to Stephen F. Austin Friday night at 7 o'clock, and Alabama fans if you're a big football fan and you're not a big basketball fan and you hear Stephen F. Austin, you might say, who, what is that? Well, let me tell you what. Stephen F. Austin went into Cameron Indoor Stadium last week and they beat the Duke Blue Devils. So when I talk about Alabama's tough schedule, this doesn't get any easier. Anything can happen in college basketball. As I mentioned, Michigan went from unranked to being number four because they won the battle for Atlantis and beat some of the top teams in the country. Alabama can beat Stephen F. Austin Stephen F. Austin can just as easily beat Alabama. Be there Friday night at 7 o'clock in Coleman Coliseum as Alabama takes on a very talented SFA team. Also, there's a baby crawl race at halftime. My nephew will be in that, so you definitely want to be checking that out. Tide Hoops this Friday night in Coleman Coliseum, 7 o'clock. See you there, folks. And as we wrap up this podcast, I want to remind everybody that Galloway Podcast merchandise is for sale. The holiday season is here. And you want the Galloway Podcast merchandise. Let me assure you, black koozies, white Nike hats. Hopefully early on in 2020, we'll get some T-shirts, some Galloway Podcast T-shirts. So DM me on Twitter at WM underscore Galloway if you want your white Nike hat in time for the holiday season or your black koozie with the Galloway Podcast logo. You want to check that out and you want to make sure you don't miss that. Looking back on today's episode, we talked about the Iron Bowl. I broke it down. Aaron Suttles broke it down. And then we talked a little Tide Hoops. Folks, the Galloway Podcast is on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcast. Couldn't do this without you, the listener, so thank you so much for listening. Any feedback is encouraged. Please let me know what you think. This is the Galloway Podcast, where there's the right way, there's the wrong way, and there's the Galloway.